Do you ever read scripture and wonder when you're reading something, why did somebody write this down? Why is it written down at all? Why in a certain cultural context, in a certain setting, in somebody's life, did they choose that this has to be written down? And then have you ever asked yourself, since it is written down and it's there, why some of these things have lasted for thousands of years? Why we still read them? Why people across the world continue to read these texts? And when you're reading the Bible, there's some places that those answers are easier to come than others. And so the song that we just sang, the scripture that it comes from, Psalm 20, three, if you read it, it's actually not too difficult to wonder why somebody would write this down and to answer the question of why has this lasted and why do we continue to read it? Because when you read those words, I think for many of us, we stop and we go, if this was true of me, if I lived out of these words, if I lived out of the truth of what this says, this poetic way of expressing God's presence in my life, we would just consider what that would look like, what the effects would be, how it would change us and transform us, and our our countenance would be different, and our mood would be different, our attitude would be different, and our actions would be different. If you just really lived these words, aren't they beautiful? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. If we could learn that lesson, no matter what's happening in our lives, I have all that I need because the Lord, because Yahweh, the one who is God himself, is my shepherd. He's the one who takes care of me. Could you imagine you lived that? Could you imagine you felt that? Could you imagine when you had actual needs, which we all have, and it sort of seemed like you didn't have enough and you started worrying and getting anxious? Could you imagine that deep within your soul when you read this and it just sunk down, this became more and more who you are? The Lord is my shepherd. I know that even if it doesn't feel that way, I have all that I need can see why that would last, don't you? He lets me rest in green meadows and he leaves me beside peaceful streams, just this beautiful imagery of of peace and wholeness, of, of beauty in our lives. I just live in the green pastures. Again, someone's taking care of me of all that I need. There's this refreshment in a world where we're so often anxious or stressed out, where we're striving so much. You know, those words that we sang in that song, do, do not strive. Imagine we could live that way. I don't have to strive. I live in the green meadows of the shepherd of my heavenly father who gives me everything that I need. When I need refreshment, he brings me to the waters. He gives me the water of life, exactly what I need. He renews my strength When I'm tired and I'm beaten down and I'm discouraged, I can trust him to give me the strength that I need. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, because we all walk through the valleys, we all go through painful times, dark times, doubts, struggles, I will not be afraid for you're close beside me. I will not be afraid, not because I am so strong, not because I can overcome all of my hurdles, but because you are with me. You're close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil, my cup overflows with blessings, surely. I mean, imagine, just imagine living in the truth deep within you that surely God's goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all of the days of my life. They're coming after me, whatever else is coming after you, whatever threats, whatever struggles, whatever pains, that God's goodness and unfailing love are pursuing you all the days of your life and you can live in the house of the Lord forever. You live where God lives. He lives in you. That's beautiful, isn't it? We're coming to Easter in two weeks. Can you believe that? It's exciting. This will be the first Easter where uh, we can meet in person 
for three years. The last two Easter's, we haven't, we haven't had the option to meet in person. I am so excited for that. I'm excited. We're going to come together on Good Friday and take communion together. We're going to come and celebrate on Easter Sunday, two weeks from today. And we are going to uh, praise God and be reminded of the resurrection and the resurrection power of Jesus, the life that he gives us, even through death, which is amazing. And today, uh, I want us to learn a lesson that's going to, I think, really prepare us for Easter. In fact, I think it's a lesson that we need to learn. And if we don't learn it, we might miss something in Easter. We might miss something so important about the cross and the character of the cross and of Jesus and what he has done for us. And it is a counterintuitive and countercultural lesson. Today, it's a difficult one. But I think if we learn it, it will help us to live out of the reality of those verses that we just sung and that I just read and we talked about. But it's going to be a tough one. So are you with me? I want to dive into this text that's from Matthew chapter 19. If you want to follow along, you can turn there. I was reading, because we're coming to Easter, next week we're going to celebrate Palm Sunday, which is when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Uh, He was going uh, to basically confront the power authorities of uh, the religious leaders of the day and the political leaders of the day. Uh, And that would be sort of the apex of what leads to his arrest and his crucifixion. Uh, Everything kind of starts to boil down. And so I was reading and thinking, because next week we'll talk about the entrance into Jerusalem, and then Easter Sunday we'll talk about, obviously, the cross and the resurrection. And so I started reading up, and I was like, well, we're two weeks out from that. What happened before Jesus came into Jerusalem? What is it that he wanted to teach? What is it that he wanted to make sure that he expressed to his followers to prepare them, even though they didn't fully understand what was going to happen and where everything was going? And there is this story found in Matthew chapter 19. It's actually repeated in some version in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'll record some version of this story. We'll look at today uh, before Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And I thought, well, that's interesting if all three gospel writers, because sometimes they have the same material and sometimes uh, they add or subtract things based on what each gospel writer was trying to tell, the story they're trying to tell about Jesus and the points they're trying to get across. And I thought, wow, all of them want to tell this story about Jesus before he goes into Jerusalem. That's probably significant for us and a lesson that we need to learn. And so I was reading the story in Matthew and in Matthew chapter 19 and uh, in this story and then just a little bit later before he goes into Jerusalem, Jesus repeats the same line twice. And so now I'm thinking we have this story that's repeated, and then we have this line that's repeated. Maybe this is something that Jesus wants to make sure that we get, and that the writers of Jesus' story in the Gospels want us to understand before we get to the cross. And here's the lesson for today, which is going to be a very hard lesson. It will be easy just to go on a surface level. Yeah, I accept that. Jesus said that. That's fine. But to really go deep down and to have this change our lives, to live this out, will be extremely Extremely challenging for us and extremely important. Here's what Jesus said Many who will be first will be last, and those who are last will be first. I have three questions for you today about your lives, about our lives that I want us to ask, and I'd love for you to go away asking these questions in light of that statement that many who will be first will be last, counterintuitive, and those who will be last, who are last, will be first, and to ask ourselves, what does that mean? And ask ourselves, if that's true, are we willing to live like it's true? Question number one, what do you want? What do you want out of your life? Let's read from Matthew chapter 19, I'm going to start in verse 16. And behold, a man came to him, Jesus, saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? 
not the only time we read about this in the Gospels. It's a pretty common question. It's not uncommon uh, in Jesus' context for uh, religious people, educated people, the Jewish people who were invested in their Bible, their scriptures, to ask this question. What must I do to have eternal life? Or what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What do you want in life? I want eternal life. How do I get there? So he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So this is a, a, for a rabbi, a good Jewish teacher, this is a really good answer. This is a basic answer. For Jewish people, especially in this context, where do we figure out eternal life? The Torah. First five books of uh, the Bible, the Christian Bible, originally the Hebrew Bible. Um, that's where you go to find what God has prescribed for us to have eternal life. It revolves around the Torah. So this is just a basic answer that Jesus gets, would have been expected. Um, but now comes the point where you go, okay, but all of us, when we come to the scriptures, have to interpret the scriptures. We can't just open it up and go, oh, there it is. We all have an interpretive lens. We all have a perspective. We all have a bias. We all have to figure out, well, when we read this, how does it actually get lived out in our lives? And so that's where the debate starts. And this is sort of a formulaic way that uh, people would have talked in Jesus' context and for Jesus to answer. So he says to him, Jesus says, we'll keep the commandments. Yeah, that's good. He says to him, which ones? Good question. Jesus says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. First, uh, what do you want? Just remember this whole conversation when we talk about today, what the original question is. I want eternal life. How do I get eternal life? How do I experience eternal life? What good deed or what must I do to have eternal life? Eternal life, this is from Dallas Willard, great author, teacher. Um, he said, eternal life is not just unending life in heaven, which some of us assume. Hey, I die and I go to heaven and live there forever. It is interactive relationship with God and Jesus now and forever. Or another way that some of us might define it is, it's the good life. It's the life that God has intended for us. If there's a good and loving God who actually created the universe and created us, and he wants us to experience everything that he has for us in life, eternal life is living that kind of life, living deeply connected to the creator, to the one who is, to Yahweh. And to be lovingly connected to each other. So eternal, what, what do I want? I, I want to live the good life. And not just the, the life that maybe we would define as the good life, but the good life that God would define as good life. That he actually, maybe he knows more about what we want and what we need than what we actually know. So how do I experience that? And that's what Jesus dives in. And he goes, well, follow the commandments, follow the Torah. Okay, and then he lists all these commandments. And the guy goes, great, I've done that. The murder, the adultery, um, I, I don't steal, I don't bear false honor father and mother, uh, love your neighbors yourself. Okay, I'm following those commandments. I'm doing pretty good. That's, that's great. So then Jesus, just real, understand for a second, uh, most of those are from the Ten Commandments, right? Maybe some of you have picked up on that. 
but there's a whole bunch that he leaves out. So this is interesting. Here's a bunch of commandments, and the guy goes, well, I've followed those commandments. But it's important, I think, for us to recognize, well, what are the ones that Jesus didn't mention? Because I think that's the setup to the whole story, right? The guy goes, great, I've followed all those commandments. So now just think about the ones that Jesus does not list, because that's what's going to come to mind. These are the ones I've done. But he's still lacking something, right? That's what he's asking Jesus. Uh, what do I still lack? I've done all those ones. So now think of the ones that Jesus did not mention that should come to the front. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, which some of us means is like using God's name as a swear word, which is not a good thing. But actually not using the Lord's name in vain is not attaching God's name to something that God's name should not be attached to. You can't take injustice or unrighteousness or something evil and say, oh, this, I do this in the name of God or God has uh, allowed me to do this or whatever. That is taking God and attaching him to something you would never attach God to. That's taking his name in vain. It says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You should rest. And by the way, the Sabbath is not just about your rest, but even more, if you have people that work for you, Sabbath is about making sure that they rest, making sure that you're treating people properly. Big part of the Sabbath is making sure that people who don't have enough are given enough. That on the Sabbath, you, you allow people uh, to have and to share what you have with people who don't have enough. You, you relent from this, I have to work, 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 and I earn everything. And instead of this economy of we all earn by working, it's this economy of God provides for us and we can share with each other and make sure that we're giving rest and, and what people need to those who are in need. And then finally, do not covet do not go after what is not yours, what is somebody else's. Do you get the message here of what Jesus is a little bit subtly, but I think not so much, pointing out for this guy? What is it that I lack? Because we find out he's actually got a lot of stuff. The problem is he's very wealthy. Well, I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, I don't steal, I don't, I don't lie. I honor my father and mother, I'm following these. That's true. Who is your God? Who do you depend on for everything in your life? Is there something in your life you've made an idol of? Is there something in your life that you're justifying and saying God is cool with this and attaching it to how you live? Say, it's okay, this is just what God's done in my life and, and I can live this way, taking the Lord's name in vain. What about how you look at the things that other people have? Is that, is that burrowed deep in your heart? Is there some jealousy there? Is there some want there? Is there some need there? Is there this faction between you and other people because of what you have or what you don't have or what they have or don't have? Do you get the message of what Jesus is doing here by pointing out, yes, you're following this half of the commandments, but what about the other half? What do you really depend on in your life? Question number two. Number one, what do you want? Some form of eternal life. I want the good life. Some form, most of us. Number two, how are you trying to get what you want? Verse 23 says, And Jesus said to his disciples, so now the conversation moves. This guy goes away. You know, he's sad because, wow, that seems very costly, what Jesus prescribed for him, right? I've got so much. You want me to sell it and give it away? Come follow you. But I've got so much. And Jesus pointing out, yeah, you've got so much, but maybe what you've got has got you. 
So he goes away sad. Now Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus now teaching the hard part. He's trying to unpack the hard part of what the, the, the first man, the rich man, he just couldn't get there. I got to give up everything that seems like too much of a cost. And it brings up that question. Well, if you want the good life, how is it that you think you're going to get there? And obviously what Jesus is pointing out for this, this man, the rich man is, you think you're getting to that, that life, at least in part by all your stuff, because you can't get rid of it. It's starting to grab a hold of you. The, the money that you have, your possessions that you have, have become your, your God, have become so important. You depend on them. You think that, that your security, you think that your happiness, you think that your well-being is tied up in all the things that you have. So now he turns to the disciples and he's working this out. This is amazing. Only with difficulty can a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what's incredible? We read this. And this is where I go back. I started by saying, what we're going to learn today is a really hard thing to learn. That the, the, the first will be last and the last will be first. I've had lots of conversations with people, and to be honest, uh, myself, I've thought this, been there, where people have gone, I'm worried that I don't have enough. Some form of that. We need some more. We're going through a tough time. I need to make more money. I need a certain salary. We got to get some money in the bank. Maybe we got student loans. We got some debt. We got to pay off the credit card. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling anxious. I don't know how we're going to get over this hump. We just don't have enough. Do you, do you know that? Have you ever been there? I've been there. I wish, uh, I wish that it wasn't so often that I still go there. I don't have enough. I don't have enough because it's so risky to not have enough, isn't it? What if I don't have any money? What if we can't pay the bills? What if I can't provide for the kids? What, what if, what if, what if, what if? And so we have this little security feeling or, or we have this idea of I want to really live a good life and to live a good life, I've got to enjoy certain things and I can't afford this, can't afford this kind of car, this kind of house or this kind of vacation. And these are all the things we need. And so, so many of us oftentimes go, oh, I feel like I don't have enough. Very few people, I don't know if it's ever happened, have come to me and go, Dave, there's a huge risk in my life. I just got too much. You ever felt that way? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's all this money doing in my bank account? How did that get there? Who put that in there? That's not, this is bad. But here's what Jesus is warning of us. Being rich is not bad, but it's risky. It's risky for your soul. Is that amazing? What a, what a counterintuitive. We're calling this series Upside Down is Right Side Up. Right? Can we learn that lesson? I'm so worried I don't have enough. And Jesus says, maybe what you need to be more concerned with is when you have too much. Because that money that you have, those possessions that you have, that salary that you have, slowly starts to, to, to speak to you and say, you depend on me. I got you. I'm your security. I'm your well-being. I'm what provides for you. This is incredible, isn't it? What that could do to your soul is to start thinking that money and possessions, in the original language, uh, in Greek, they talk about mammon, which was not just your money or stuff or wealth, but sometimes talked about as the God of wealth, that wealth, possession, stuff becomes like a God. And you go, I depend on this. I need it. Jesus says, 
with great difficulty. It's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, again, not just heaven. It's to be part of God's presence and what God is doing in our lives, to experience it's kind of, he's, he's drawing on eternal life, to just, just know what it's like that the Lord is my shepherd and I have everything that I need, to live in this utter dependence that says I am secure and I could never be more secure no matter how much more money I have than just knowing that the one who takes care of me is the good shepherd, is God, my heavenly father. That's what Jesus taught, wasn't it? Isn't this the context? You go back to the Sermon on the Mount earlier in the book of Matthew. And what does Jesus teach when it comes to possessions? Oh, don't worry. Don't you know your heavenly father loves you? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap, and yet he provides for them. Doesn't he feed the birds, and how much more does he love you? He calls them, oh, little faith. Do you have the faith to know that the Lord is my shepherd, and I have everything that I need? And you can never be more secure than when you realize that and live in that. Doesn't matter how much more money you have. Doesn't matter how much. Are you more secure? Can you be more secure? Look at the blades of grass in the field. Look at the flowers. Are they, not, are they not clothed in all the splendor? Not even King Solomon with all of his riches could match the beauty we see in nature. And doesn't God, God do that and create that? And don't you think he's going to make sure you have enough? And when Jesus talked about money, do you remember what he said? He said, you can pile all this up, but don't you understand with money? I know it's so tempting to think it'll make me secure. By the way, money is not about money. Money's never about money. Nobody just wants money. Nobody. You want money for a reason. You want money to fulfill something that you need, that you think you need, or that you want. Money is about your greatest values. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You start throwing treasure places and your heart follows your treasure. So you know why you want money? We want money. We want more. We want more. Because, well, it's different for all of us. Some of us, it's because we want to be secure. I feel so insecure if I don't have X number of dollars in the bank. You ever think that? And then you get that amount in the bank and you go, eh, a little bit more. I need this salary. Yeah, you get there. And it's not just money. You do the same thing with, with, with notoriety. I need this promotion at work. And then you get this promotion at work and it comes up with all these responsibilities. And you go, now I have more stress, but I really wanted this. And you, I don't know if I'm experiencing the peace that I thought I would. Jesus taught about money. You know, you can put it all in the bank if you want. But guess what? It can be stolen. It can rot. It can be lost. We think money and possessions are so secure. This guy goes, I'm so sad because I can't give all this away. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's not security for you. Maybe the reason why you, money, you want money, the real value, is because you want a certain lifestyle, because you want pleasure. And money can buy me pleasure. Money can buy me experiences. Money can buy me vacations. Maybe it's because you want status, because if I buy a certain car, live in a certain neighborhood, then other people are going to take notice. You got to answer that for yourself. What's your greatest value? I mean, that's the answer to the question we're trying to figure out. How are you trying to get what you want? Well, I want to be secure, so I need a lot of money. I want to be happy, so I got to go on expensive vacations. I want to, you know, people to look at me and think, wow, they're amazing, and they work so hard, and look at all they've accomplished, so I need fancy cars. I don't know what it is for you. But Jesus goes, listen, I get it. There's such a pull to that, but none of it really works in the end. It can be stolen can be spoiled, it can be lost. But what if you could live just knowing, why am I secure? And by the way, it doesn't mean you shouldn't have good money habits. It doesn't mean you shouldn't learn how to budget and save money and think about your future and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus goes, I mean, this is an amazing warning. 
Do you know how hard it is for somebody who has a lot to get into the kingdom of heaven? Because, I think what he's saying to us is, because do you see how it is such a rival to God that you can start to depend on what you have for all of those things that you really need? Look at the picture. Harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Huge camel, small needle. You can't, it can't. It's impossible. And they go, well, how are we supposed to do that? Well, what's impossible with you human beings is possible only with God. Well, how do you get into the kingdom of heaven? How do you live the good life? How do you actually arrive there? Well, you can't do it by earning and earning and earning, and you can't do it by setting up these gods in your life that seem like they're going to give you everything that you need, but can't do it. What is impossible for you to do is only a gift from God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have everything that I need. I always did. I just needed to wake up to the reality that God takes care of me. Put my trust and dependence in him. That's the secret. That's always been the secret. It's impossible any other way to get there. Powerful what Jesus is trying to teach here. I don't know anybody who's come to me and gone, I'm just scared I got too much and it's not good for my soul. I know it happens. Some people will say, here's the biggest objection to this teaching of Jesus. Because he goes to this guy and he says, sell your house, like sell everything, give to the poor, just come follow me. Here's the biggest objection amongst followers of Jesus if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're watching this, just know this is hard for us. We're struggling even if we want to. Okay, here's the biggest objection. People say, yeah, but Jesus didn't ask everybody to sell all their stuff and give it away. Because then we can go, because he didn't ask, he's not asking me to sell my stuff and give it all away. So that's a nice way to sort of take this, last shall be first, first shall be last, and go, yeah, for somebody else. But I mean, God would never ask me to give up everything. To which I would say, you are correct. But I would also say this, because Jesus doesn't tell everybody to sell other stuff and give it away. But I would say this, the more something inside of you says, I could never sell that thing, I could never give that up, I could never be that generous, the more something inside of you is saying that, the more likely Jesus would say, exactly what you need to do is give up your stuff challenging, isn't it? Because it's got you. Because you're depending on it. The more you resist this radical general, God would never ask me to do that. The more Jesus would say, just like this guy, have no other gods before me. Uh, this thing, man, this thing is just, it's trying to tell you that it can depend, you can depend on it. You can depend on your bank account. You can depend on your, your house. You can depend on this. And none of those things are bad, but you just got to go. There's a huge warning here. There's a great risk here. And the more you're in a spot where you go, I got to hold on to this, the more Jesus would say, you got to let go of it. So question number three, number one, what do you want? Number two, how are you trying to get what you want? And number three, how can you get what you really need? Verse 27, then Peter said in reply, I love this. See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Oh, Jesus, I sold stuff and I'm following you. That's a good, like, I just resonate with that. Um, can I get some credit, Jesus? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. You will get there if you're willing to give up what you think you need to get what you really need you will be given an inheritance of eternal life. And then he says, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Those who are willing to give up everything, you're going to get there. Those who think that they depend on all these things, it's not the way you get there. Oh, it's such a challenging, challenging 
reminder for us and the risk there that Jesus says. He just flips it around. It's totally upside down. I think the biggest risk is if I had nothing. I think Jesus would, what Jesus is pointing us to is you have everything. God's going to take care of you. The bigger risk might be actually accumulating enough that you think you've got it all together. And so this leads us to whether or not we're willing to repent of this, to rethink our position, position on money, maybe our position on, on fame, position on what we truly need and what we depend on. Repentance, one definition, is a change of mind that leads to a change in behavior. That are you willing to change your, behavior, your, your mind on this to say what my life's goal should, should be is not to gain all this stuff because that's not what leads me to eternal life, the good life. Not to amass more and depend on more and oh, now I'm secure and now I'm happy and now I can buy everything that I want. But instead to, to change and say, actually, the way to get what I really need is to receive it from God. And when my stuff has a hold on me, the best way to respond to that is to give it away. What would that look like for you? I'm not sure. It might mean giving away a chunk of something that's a lot for you. And a lot is different for all of us. It's subjective. But if you realize, man, I, I, I do depend on my possession. I do depend on my money. What would I do? I think Jesus would say, why don't you start giving it away? See what it's like to, to release some of this for the good of others. Put it into kingdom use. Invest in kingdom things, in eternal things. Give it to somebody who's in need. Give it to somebody who's working towards providing kingdom things to the world. Release it. Because what if you could live and go, man, eternal life really comes when, when at the core of who I am, I depend on a God who says he's my father and he loves me and he's going to provide for me and I could never earn anything that makes me more secure than living out of that relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. So what has gripped your heart to the point where you depend on it for your well-being? Is there something maybe coming to mind that you need to release into the kingdom, release to give up? To know I, I, a camel can't go through the eye of the needle. I can't earn my way into this good life but I've already got it. It's what's impossible for me to do is possible because God has already given it to me. A number of years ago, uh, we went, uh, a number of us from West Side, we went on a short-term mission trip. Actually, we went three times. We went to Ecuador and we spent some time in the jungle in this village um, helping them run some stuff for kids and, and, and teaching some of their adults and doing some training and some really cool things that we just thought God was calling us to do and to be part of kingdom building. And the village we went to had an incredible history. Many of you know this. You've heard this story. Maybe you were on those trips. We ended up going, I think, three times. Uh, and one of the significance of that village, uh, it was the home of a missionary whose name was Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, uh, not really before his death, but after his death, became a fairly well-known uh, as a missionary. His story, broadly speaking, goes like this. He was an American finishing up seminary, feeling God calling him uh, to, to, to follow him, um, to share Jesus with people. And at one point, uh, somehow he learned about this tribe that lives in the jungle uh, in Ecuador, very isolated from the outside world, very little contact with anybody else uh, called the Harani people. Um, and he just, God just gripped his heart and he said, I need to go share 
Jesus loved with these people. They were known to be a very violent and very isolated people. And so he was like, I'm, man, he, he literally gave up everything to follow what he believed was God's call for him to go to this village. And so uh, he went there. And when we went there, his house is still there. When we were there a number of years ago, pretty dilapidated, it's broken down. Uh, nobody had maintained it for a while, so everything's falling apart. Pretty, pretty basic of how they built it. It was infested with bats and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, but his house was there, still there as far as I know. When Jim Elliott got down there with a number of other um, missionaries, they went uh, into, uh, further into the jungle to reach this people group. And their idea was, we're going to go, we're going to build relationships, we're going to tell them we're friendly, and uh, you know, as we build relationships, we're going to teach them about Jesus, and we're going to you know, help provide for some of their needs and really make a difference. And uh, when they got in there, at one point, there was a miscommunication, and something that they had said was miscommunicated by some of the people in this tribe. And so uh, these people in the tribe attacked them and killed a number of these missionaries, including Jim Elliott. He gave his life for this. And when we were in this village, it was, it, it was amazing to be part of this history and to see there's now a Christian community there. There's a church. They have an impact. They're training people who live deeper in the jungle, who still to this day, they're not completely isolated, but much more isolated than many people. Uh, training leaders to share the love of Jesus, the love of God. The legacy of someone like uh, Jim Elliott continues. And his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, uh, who was an amazing, amazing person, actually ended up staying in Ecuador. She returned to that tribe, befriended them, forgave them, and built a rich legacy of love with them. It's incredible in this, in this village and beyond to see the impact that was made. So huge. But a lot of people look at Jim Elliott and say, man, that's crazy. You're American, you had all these opportunities, and he was a smart guy and could have done all kinds of stuff, but he just literally sold everything. And you go and you see his house in this village. Again, it's now it's broken down and it's falling apart, bats everywhere. You can see in the front steps where they had, they had made a concrete sort of porch, you can see the imprints of his kids' hands. Took his family there, was raising them there, gave everything there. And you go, this is just so crazy. Someone would do that, right? How many of us would say, that's the way to the good life? Just to give up? Here's a famous quote from Jim Elliott. This, one of the missionaries that we worked with, uh, took this board. This is from Jim Elliott's house in that village. Uh, and they made this for us. They wrote uh, Jim Elliott's his famous, most famous quote uh, that he said that he wrote um, that, that became very famous after uh, he died. And his quote was this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. None of it was wasted. This is the way to the good life, the eternal life, both now and forever. And does it sound familiar? It sounds a lot like many who were first will be last. But those who are last will be first. Could we believe that that's true? Could we believe that that's the path to eternal life, the good life? can't get our heads around that, if we shrug it off, if we say no one could actually live that way, we're going to get to Easter, but we'll never understand the cross. Those who are first will be last, but those who are last, those who could give up everything to gain what they could not lose, they will be first. This is the powerful message of eternal life. And that even in a death, if you give it up, there's resurrection. That this is the pattern of how God has created us to be and to live. And to know whatever the cost seems to be for us. 
We have a good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. And I have everything that I need. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can trust you, depend on you. When we feel like we don't have enough, when we feel vulnerable and needy, that we know that there's no greater security than knowing that you're our Heavenly Father and you love us. God, when we have more than enough, as so many of us do, would you give us the courage to evaluate, be willing to give, be willing to release the power that some of those things might have on our lives and on our soul. Free us up, God, that we would trust you and only you for that ultimate place in our lives, that there would be no other gods in our lives, that we would make no other images that we would not attach your name or character to justify anything in our life that shouldn't be there. That the covetousness that holds us back from being in good, beautiful, right relationships with other would be broken by the power of generosity, of sharing and of caring for one another the way that you have provided for us. God, would you assure us today that we have everything that we need to truly live the eternal life that you've given to us And so it is safe and beautiful and wonderful for us to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name.